0: there are three widows that go to the class. And these are young widows who have all recently within like the past two years lost their spouse. And I was talking about my move to Italy coming up. And two of them said to me, yeah, I I didn't get to do that. We talked about that. You know, my husband was gonna retire at 62 and, you know, he died and I I didn't get to go. You never know when it's going to happen.
1: Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. Hello, and welcome back to the Most Hated F-Word podcast. For those returning listeners, welcome back. For the new listeners, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. Today is the first time I've ever had back-to-back guests, the same guests, one week after another, and I am delighted to share this conversation with Dr. Megan Lertz on creating a flourishing life with positive psychology and money. Throughout this entire conversation, I felt so much joy as Dr. Lertz and I discussed how we can integrate the learnings from positive psychology into our financial lives to create this flourishing life. Dr. Lertz is a financial psychology researcher, professor, and lecturer, and she shares her insights on how we can redefine our relationship with money to experience more contentment and joy. Dr. Lertz touches on so many important issues, such as aligning our financial lives with our true, authentic values, our character strengths, how we can use the PERMA model of well being. In our financial planning, in our financial advising conversations, she discusses what is financial joy and really invites us all to answer this question, what does financial joy mean to ourselves? Dr. Lertz talks about the difference between being fine as opposed to flourishing and how we can introduce many different aspects of positive psychology to help us achieve this feeling or this state of flourishing. She talks a lot about positive relationships and the importance of having these positive relationships in our lives so that we can feel more moments of happiness, so we can feel more content in our lives. I appreciated the examples she gives on what she learned from living in Spain in regards to having positive relationships. We also talk about the importance of financial self-efficacy and agency. You'll really hear how the conversation centers around us noticing the here and now more and not always just focusing on this goal that's going to be when we're 65 or this goal that's in the distant future. While that's important, a lot of the conversation centers around to take notice of life that's unfolding right in front of us and find the richness in that. If you have not already, I encourage you all to read Megan's wonderful writing on the Kitsis platform. It's truly remarkable, the work she's doing. I'm going to include one article in the show notes where she uses a powerful question within the context of the article of what's possible now. I think that article reflects our conversation very well. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Dr. Megan Lertz. Megan, welcome back to round two of the Most Hated Word podcast. I'm happy to have you again.
0: Thank you. Yeah, super happy to be here. I'm glad it, glad it worked out.
1: Yeah, me too. After our first recording, we started chatting away about positive psychology and its influence it may have or does have on our financial lives. So I thought it'd be great to have you come on and talk about your understanding of what positive psychology is, how it can be applied to our financial lives. So I thought we would start with a simple question is, what is positive psychology?
0: Yeah, simple questions. Those are always kind of hard. Simple. Uh, <laughs>
1: con- <laughs> you know, it dates back to like the philosophy and Aristotle. So just simple question.
0: Right, right. Yeah, we could spend an hour on that alone. I default to the um, definition from Martin Seligman, which I do happen to have in front of me. It's to flourish, you know, to find fulfillment in our lives, accomplishing meaningful tasks or meaningful and worthwhile tasks and connecting with others at a deeper essence of living. This is the good life. And on our last podcast, that was something that we even kind of talked about that I have been trying to do more of the good life in my own life and trying to imbibe, you know, more of the stuff that we know from positive psychology, that it's not about always fixing some of the dark, harder, you know, things that are just like stuck in our craws. That other times we can just do more of the things that we're doing well and that this can tip the scales in the other direction. And in particular, you know, for my own life, and I, I think science would show really for everybody's lives. That you know, having meaningful relationships and really trying to focus on those is really, really important. So, man, what is positive psychology? It's focusing on the positive parts of our psychology and worrying or focusing less on the icky or parts that are sick or the diagnosis part. That certainly has its place. It's hard to have one without the other, but they are sort of the the yin and the yang and where we spend our time, you know.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. And and, I mean, by no means is that a simple question. And I appreciate some of the words that you used, flourish, fulfillment, deeper, deeper level and the good life. And it's interesting how often we don't use these words, even in a financial planning context.
0: I I think it's becoming more of that. But yeah, it's been more like investments and tax, which are also cool, but different.
1: Yeah, they're cool. And, and it, it, this yin and yang, like you talked about the traditional psychology that's kind of deficit focused or disease or diagnosing, like you said, actually making me think about the traditional financial planning is looking at our income statements, these, their own versions of what I guess the traditional psychology would look at. Whereas now we're talking is what can we describe this good life? It makes me think of this analogy of If I'm going on a vacation somewhere, I absolutely need to know where I'm going. Like I need a ticket to where I'm going, which is the good life. But also I need to know where I'm at to get to the right departure terminal. So they kind of this really this yin and yang. But at times I think we fail to really describe what a good life is. Mm -hmm. Within your work, how have you, if anything at all, seen people could start to identify what is a good life?
0: Well, I do think it has a lot to do with relationships. And I do think it has a lot to do with meaning, not to, that we need to have a third podcast. Together. <laughs> we can, I'm down. But like, I know that you're interested in doing a master's in positive psychology, which I love. I, although my husband may feel otherwise, am very interested in getting a a master's in logotherapy, which is Viktor mm. Frankl stuff and kind of the the idea of meaning and like where does that you know show up in our lives but i certainly think that that's a part of positive psychology and just a part that i'm particularly interested in so as it relates to my career you know i would certainly say that it just has an interest to me it just kind of calls to me in that way i have found aspects of positive psychology in my own life but i think personally well professionally another thing too is for many financial advisors and this is not a negative thing it can be weird, you know, to go back in time and like talk about childhood trauma and things like this. Like this is a bit uncomfortable and understandably so, whereas it might feel more natural to be like, hey, I appreciate that you're willing to share that with me. We don't have to go in that direction. We can actually just start, you know, at where we're at today. And the fact that you're here, you know, and trying to make change in your financial life, you know, I think that that is something we can build on. I think many financial advisors would feel quite a bit of safety in building on strength, looking towards these different aspects of PERMA, which is the acronym for the the five sort of part for positive psychology. And, you know, those being like positive relationships, engagement, meaning, accomplishment, positive emotions. And it goes back to just that idea of the teeter-totter that can we just get a little more positive emotion? You know, can we get a little bit more accomplishment and meaning? Can, like, can we spend a little bit more time with the people that we love? It's not about, because you may not be able to control spending less time with people that you can't stand. That may just be who you work with. But there are ways to think, but I can help to even this out. You know, if I can't change some of this negative stuff, if I can't go back in time and change my money script, if I can't go back in time and change what happened to me when I was five, you can still move forward. And I think that that is just amazing. I I think that that is such a different way to look at people. And also, another thing I love about positive psychology is that it is not looking for the places that people are broken. It's looking for the places that people are strong. Again, like when you're doing finances, People are already pretty nervous that they're there. They're probably there because something is wrong. (laughs) And, you know, it can feel very reassuring in a way to move or to use more positive psychology aspects and then carrying out those financial planning conversations instead of just focusing solely on what's wrong. So some some of the questions that I write about, some of the stuff we talk about at the different universities that I teach at, you know, some of the research that I'm interested in doing it all relates back to this move towards positive psychology, this sort of flip to the other side.
1: You speak about positive emotions. And it's funny about working at home like we both are. I see your little child there and I just feel a positive emotions. I, I like kids and I just like, oh, there's a little kid there now. It's so true, this idea of positive emotions. And I think what I've always appreciated about positive psychology and I'm hearing you say is like, it's really cultivating this agency or locus of control that we yeah, can that. find the answers. Yeah, And I thought that was really noticeable in your article when you position this question, what is possible now? Can you mm-hmm. explain the significance of that question and maybe relate it to this idea of how it can facilitate or cultivate this agency?
0: Yeah. So I think that's a big issue within finance. It's just our natural inclination towards a lack of agency. A lot of people feel like the financial industry is out to get them. And how will I ever, you know, be able to figure this stuff out? And I was bad at math when I was 10. So I probably am never going to be good at finance. Like there is an immense lack of agency, an immense lack of sort of financial self-empowerment or financial, you know, financial ability. and so. Turning to somebody and being able to say, one, that you can do this, and two, to give them a greater sense of agency, I think is is huge. And so that particular question, that what's possible now, I wrote that question, I wrote that article. I had been doing a different presentation where I just kind of talked about a bunch of different questions, way to get greater engagement sort of in that first year. And people are like, oh, but you know, I have clients beyond that year. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, good idea. (laughs) Uh, And so they said, well, what's some questions for that? You know, like, what should I ask, you know, in my review meeting? And I said, well, maybe you should start asking about, you know, what's possible now? You know, the fact that maybe they've you've spent a year together, you know, you've gotten over that hump. Maybe it's 18 months together. You know, they really now know what it means to have a professional financial relationship. They... Have built some financial self efficacy over that year or two together to where they do feel a greater sense of confidence and just sort of sustainability with their finances. And this is an amazing place to be. Like going from feeling like everything is falling apart, scared and vulnerable, to just feeling like, oh, yeah, things are okay. You know, I feel not bad is great. But now I'm saying, you know, from this plateau of like you know I feel pretty good I feel I feel fine you know like in my family which you can take this to mean what you want but in my family it's a somewhat common expression to hear well if you can fix it with money it's not really a problem meaning that honestly yes there are people that can't put food on the table and that could be fixed with money that is a real problem so there we're talking about a a certain socioeconomic status that I grew up in and I'm not trying to be rude or something like that to other socioeconomic status but it's to the point that there are some things that that money doesn't fix money won't solve and that now moving to this place of okay if the money things are not something that we have to worry about anymore you know like we have peace of mind we can put food on our table we can take a couple vacations a year then what's possible now When you came in, you know, you thought, oh, all hell is breaking loose and this isn't going to be good. Now we're in a place where we're like, we don't even worry about this anymore. Your choices are different. You know, your view of the world from this plateau of safety and abundance changes how you approach the next steps to the point that we don't have a lot of good examples of that in life. You know, most people aren't great at talking about their money. they are definitely, I mean, people with a lot of money feel a lot of shame people with a little bit of money feel a lot of shame and so it's it's getting to this place whatever that means and then being able to say you know or recognize that i didn't i wasn't even quite sure that i would get here but now that i am i can make another choice i can do a different thing i can place my emphasis in another place i do have a, a different presentation that i give and one of the things that i talk about that relates back even to what we were talking about on our on our previous episode is that this whole idea of relationships and of positive relationships and doing, you know, doing and having experiences with people that we love, you know, in order to kind of create our art. And so one thing that I encourage financial advisors to ask is, you know, at that review meeting, maybe every, not that you do it at every review meeting, maybe like every three years, you might say, you know, how might you use your financial means to strengthen a relationship? Is it a professional one? A, you know, philanthropic one? Is it yourself? You know, do you want to improve your mental or physical health? You have the time and money, like, let's do it. And I think that just stopping in a meeting and saying, yeah, like, what is, what do you want to do now? (laughs) Like, we are good. What is it like to plan from here? I think that's a, just a, an amazing gift to be able to give to people, to begin to even start thinking about like, yeah, that, that, that they don't have to worry. And if they don't have to worry, now they have space and time to think about other things and filling, the, filling their life with things that are good.
1: I really like this idea of like strengthening those relationships and focusing on what I hear, like the here and now. Also by folk, you know, you're you're not disregarding the future and what you're saying. I can't recall the name of the book, but I think the author is John Armstrong. But he talks about money issues and money problems. And money problems can be solved by money. And money issues are what you're talking about. Yeah. And Dr. Robert Biswa Diener, he came on the podcast and he talked about his research. He's a positive psychologist. He talked about his research of, in his dissertation, he went to Northern Greenland India in Calcutta, and then a lot of the United States, and looking at happiness. And a big thing was, what did you do yesterday? Was a determining question on how they subjectively rank happiness. And by far, according to his his assessment, the individuals in Greenland and India ranked higher than the average American, and it was to do with these relationships. And I just wanted to talk about that because I. I think that's an important thing. And I love your ideas. How can you strengthen your relationships with your financial means as opposed to questions that we're used to asking is, okay, you got extra money. How do we invest and make more, more, more?
0: Yeah. We could spend it on our mental health. We could spend it on a vacation with our family. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just that, you know, you've opened the door to that discussion. And to your point about some of the work that Diener has done. You know, there's also like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we sort of assume that you move up this hierarchy, you know, with the bottom ones being, you know, make sure you've got some place to live and you've got some food. And then the next one up is that's kind of where it talks about connection and family. And it moves up to the top to where we're kind of just talking about our our own self and that a lot, not that the relationships have to be removed from that. So it's that this idea that the top is this self-actualization. But if you look at like where the happiest people in the world are and what they spend their time doing, it's not off in self-actualization land. It's usually related to enjoying their physical resources, like eating dinner with their family or you know, just that closeness that they have. They spend a lot of time in those lower rungs. I'm sure that Maslow was brilliant. I don't necessarily believe that he thinks that we should be spending all of our time, it's probably important to note not the progression, but the size of the bars. Like normally, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is in a pyramid. And so like the bottom sections, you know, end up taking like seventy five percent of the of the the image itself and to think about, okay, well, if you were to spend seventy five percent of your time there and twenty five percent of your time doing these other things, it's important to a well-spun life the more important parts where where a lot of people draw a lot of happiness and even some of the self-actualization can come right back down into how we feel about our family and the nourishment that we get from those relationships. I think that um sometimes people look at that image and think that it's just about climbing to the top, but it's really this idea that it, like it's a complete picture and some of the size of the graphic is probably true for how we should be spending our time.
1: Yeah. I, I appreciate that observation because you're right. They're, they're so like symmetrical, each section of that pyramid. I can't recall which book or where I heard this, but I heard that Maslow didn't do the pyramid, like someone changed it to pyramid and he had it in a cycle. And it kind of reiterates what you're saying. I want to bring this back to the PERMA that you talked about, because like you said, positive relationships are within the PERMA model that Seligman introduces PERMA model to help us define what well-being is. Outside of what you said here, we can use our money to strengthen our relationships. How can we become more clear on those five elements of PERMA or just what is meaningful in our lives when we're so ingrained in this this way of being like, earn more, more, get a promotion, get a promotion. Based on what you've read is how do we slow down so that we can actually authentically answer that question, what is possible now, as opposed to always thinking about that future self?
0: Well, isn't that always to catch? Tw- oh, that's probably not the right thing. Catch 22. Like it's, it's not that simple to where yeah. it's just like, well, you know, do more of this and do less of that. I think it, it's difficult to be mindful. You know, that's not an, an easy thing to do. It's difficult to say, you know, actually I have enough because that, that means something in our society, you know, in U S culture and probably the same in Canada. It's kind of like, well, you know, I have enough. Well, is that because you think you're stuck up and you think you have more than me? Is that because you're lazy and you've just decided to give up? I've spent a lot of time in Spain and in quite a few Mediterranean cultures and it's very not common. It's very uncommon to hear them say, I'm happy. Instead, they use the phrase, I'm content. And I think that even this small change in Language. They also oftentimes will say they feel content, but they have happiness. Wow. As though happiness, but they all say I have sadness. They all say I have hunger. Like they realize that, that that no feeling is really the last feeling. You know, that that feelings are supposed to come and go. And having this sort of contentment, having like a baseline, you know, to return to is really what's more important. So it's not always about climbing, it's about sort of establishing a very comfortable baseline and knowing what that is. For me, this has also just been a part of my own work, is trying to figure out, okay, well, what is my contentment? Like, what is my, what is my consistency? Because I don't, I don't always have to keep climbing. But this is a very active choice that I have probably made in some ways what feels you know, counterculture. And I've had amazing experiences to live outside of my culture to where I remember a bunch of my Spanish friends were going to lunch and I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll come down. They were actually having lunch. Like I lived above a bar as many people do. <laughs> and so I was just going to come down and, you know, they were, they were going to lunch at like two, which is normal for Spain, but then they eat until like four. And I was like, well, you know, I have like 30 minutes. I'll come down and they're like, your life seems really horrible. And that that you would not be able to just like have a real conversation for more than thirty minutes over lunch, you know what is wrong with you and your culture? You clearly, no wonder you go from happiness, to sadness, happiness to sadness. Your level of contentment is just like gross. And so, I think that um, that man, I don't, I don't. Maybe everybody should go live in Spain for a couple of years. <laughs> it couldn't be. It would be. Uh, very nice thing but man how do we help other people to do that i think it's really hard and honestly it took me leaving to figure out there was like a different way of being i certainly think that research can help point us in the right direction cuz we we do we have seen like those happiness studies that have been done and even even related to perma or things like flow and stuff like that where when you can be in what you're doing, you know, feeling fulfilled by that thing, that this is when people tend to report that they are feeling pretty good. And so to recognize what those things are for you and sort of figure out how, how to bring more of that into your life, you know, that it really is not so much only get rid of the bad. Some of the bad might actually stay, you know, but you can fill it up or you can counteract it, you know, thinking of it as weights with just adding and thinking very actively, you know, about what's good. I would encourage people to journal, you know, even if it's just for like a month, maybe a week, you know, just kind of keep track of what you did and how you felt at the end of the day, maybe how you woke up, maybe how you feel at noon when you have your lunch and then, you know, make a note about how you feel, When you go and like, what was the pattern? You know, for me, I'm a morning person. When I wake up at five or whatever, I'm usually like wide awake. I'm in a really good mood. You know, I read some things, I snuggle with my kids. I don't ever get out of bed without snuggling my kids and having a cup of coffee. The first like hour or so of my day is amazing. I also tend to be more creative in the morning. So I'll get up. I'm very productive for the first couple of hours um but these are things that i've noticed about myself over time you know and i i again made the conscious decision to think about when do i feel good you know when do i feel not as good you know when do i really feel engaged and tried to make conscious efforts to make small changes a lot of it has been around my work life i love working in academia i love academics i love you know getting to talk about ideas and do research but i have talked about it before i think i talked about it on the last podcast. i love working on the kitsis platform i'm just surrounded by amazingly lovely people that feel you know the way that i do in an ethical and moral place you know it is not just like oh yeah it's fun to work with michael and ben and jeff like it it is but it's very fun to work with people that I know deep down we hold the same values, that we have deep conversations, believe it or not, about financial planning because of how we feel. And so to spend time with them is valuable time, you know, is time that I really enjoy. I don't wake up and think, oh, barf work. You know, sometimes I am tired, <laughs> just like anybody else. I really can't stand meetings. That's not a thing I'm a fan of. But other than that, you know, I really I, I, really love my work and the people that I work with. And I am very lucky to be in a position where I get to choose some of that, you know. But because of that, and the recognition of that, over the years, I've spent a lot of time putting effort into my work because I didn't feel good about other things. And now I'm trying to put more effort into motherhood and trying to put more effort into my partner life. Because those things matter to me too, and so taking the time to think about, yeah when it when are the times that I'm happy, you know, when or feeling content, you know when when is that happening, when is that look or what you know, and then looking back on that over a a week or two weeks, and just seeing what small changes you can kind of make to that dynamic that's
1: so good. you know, I, I just hear so much of this idea of noticing use that word quite a few times, and not quite a few <laughs> I don't say that you used it too many times, but you, I noticed it. Yeah, you didn't say too many (laughs) times, but this idea of noticing, I know at least for, for sure for myself and many others is when we're in this American or Canadian culture, unlike the Spanish one, where we're going, 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 that half an hour lunch break, I totally understand that. And yeah, trying to get better at that myself, but we don't have time to do many things when we're just running. Like you said, like these are words you said, noticing, being conscious of our decisions journaling, which help us notice and be conscious. And you, when you talked about your conversations with Michael and values, I think for many of us, we have a hard time actually knowing our values. And when we continue just to continue to climb, 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 get to that top of whatever ladder we're going at, we tend to miss the unfolding of life that is happening in front of us. And I, geez, you sound like you're oozing with this excitement of I I feel like it's contentment as you're talking about motherhood and partner and trying to make this wonderful dance work, it's neat to hear because I think that's speaking to the work that you've talked about of this fine to flourishing. And when, when I heard you talk about fine, it made me think of, in positive psychology, they have a term called languish, which is the state of when an individual, there's no, there's no mental illness, there's no real observable issue but we just have this stagnation or emptiness. And I think that's what I'm hearing you talk about is this fine state. Maybe we're not getting to that deep, rich, not money, the richness of life. Yeah. What questions, I know you've been pondering, writing, thinking about questions that we can ask others as financial planners or even ask ourselves. Many of the people listening aren't financial planners. What type of questions can we start to ask ourselves that help facilitate this engagement with PERMA more.
0: Yeah, I have a whole list. (laughs) Okay, so the what's possible now one is a fun one. If you are a little more like, you know, you and your clients are on that level. And again, this isn't a review meeting. You've been working together for a while. Just sit back some time and be like, you know, tell me where you see your life's purpose in your finances. (laughs) What? do they say? You know, some people will be like, oh, no, my life's purpose is not in my finances. And you can be like, oh, tell me what it is then. Like, because this is what I see. You know, these are the numbers. And if they're like, oh, well, you know, I see it here and here, you know, then you can always be like, should we spend more time doing that? Over the next 12 months, how can we add to that? You know, I think that those are really fun questions. I think again getting people to just think about their their mental health and their physical health, you know, if money was no concern. Again, like it is right now. You know, like the situation that you are in that you have worked so hard for and I recognize that how would you raise your overall life satisfaction? <laughs> and again, it doesn't even matter what they say. They may not know what to say. You know, they may say, "Well, you know, like life satisfaction." I don't know, you know, I don't know. And And you can say, okay, well, like, give me, like, let's, uh, let's do like a scale, you know, like on a scale of one to 10, how satisfied you are, you know, are you currently with your life? And, you know, their, their clients, again, they're in fine phase, they're probably going to say like, you know, I'm an eight. And you can always say things like, well, you know, tell me why you're not a seven. And so then the things that they say, the things that they describe about how they're an eight and not a seven, these are the things that matter to them in life. And then you can say something like, well, Okay, you're an eight. How do we get to nine? Should we should we just do the things you know more of the things that you were just talking about that di- that differentiated you from seven to an eight? Yeah, you should do that. You can always say like detail for me, you know how you would enhance or improve the idea of stewardship in your finances in your financial life. You know, sort of giving them an opportunity to say. I would like to do more for to increase my financial self-efficacy doing blah. You know, again, people will answer in all kinds of different ways. These are probably not questions anybody has ever asked them. And that's all right. You know, tell me how you can improve your mental or physical health in the next 12, you know, 12 months. You know, we we can we can spend however you want. We can get you a gym membership, we can have a personal trainer come to your house every day, we can get you a private chef, you know, whatever. You know, if they've got the money to do it, do it for 12 months. Nothing bad's gonna happen. Let's do it for six. You know, let's do it. But you can always ask people how, this is kind of a a different one, where or what aspects of their character do they see represented in their finances? And again, some people will really push back from that, but that that's okay. You know, like you can ask more follow-up questions related to why they feel this disconnect or why they don't believe that their character should, like they may have a thing that just money is bad or money is gross or, you know, that's a part of their money script. If you're, I know you're a Klontz fan. Mm-hmm. And okay, that's okay. But if if that's what it is, like, do you want to explore that? Because again, you are in the sacred relationship and you've been in the sacred relationship with this client for a couple of years. These are okay questions. To ask. And it's okay if they go places that if this, this is a brave question to ask. You know, if you're a financial planner and you're not quite sure what they're going to say, this is a brave question to ask. That doesn't mean don't ask it, that just means you don't know the answer. And that's all right. I mentioned the one about like, you know, making your relationships more satisfying. You can also ask it in like, you know, how can we cultivate these relationships in a more productive way or in a more meaningful way or a more direct way? But I think just like, you don't have to use any of these, but, you know, considering the five parts of PERMA being, you know, the positive emotions, okay, how can we get more? And this, again, that's not about saying, stop feeling bad or stop feeling this or stop feeling that. It's, we're just going to ignore that and just go directly to, what are some good things that you feel? And let's make more of that. Engagement, you know, if somebody's in retirement and, and maybe they're, they're in front of you and they answer that with like, you know, wanna work at a Think Tank or a startup or be like my dad and go work at Bass Pro. Like it's just whatever they wanna do. Like how do they wanna experience that engagement? Hobbies, friends, whatever. Definitely relationships. I, I actually think that this one might seem weird but is probably the most important one from research to try to get people to focus on. And sadly, so I attend a gym here in Monterey where I happen to be like the youngest person by probably 15 years. And there are three widows that go to the class and these are young widows. They're like in their maybe mid, late 50s. You know, they're not old women who have all recently within like the past 2 years lost their spouse and i was talking about my move to italy coming up and two of them said to me yeah i i didn't get to do that we talked about that you know my husband was going to retire at 62 and you know he died and i did i didn't get to go to europe you never know when it's going to happen. You don't know who it's going to happen to. Relationships are the thing that keep us content or offer us contentment. That this this is something you can actually have all the time. Contentment. Relationships offer us that. They offer us safety nets. They help us to be healthy. But they are so easily Overlooked because we're all, we're always surrounded by people and now we're all connected all the time into the social medias. And it's just like being in it versus, you know, all of us have been in a big room and felt like alone. Mm-hmm. There may be 500 people there, but we feel alone. So simply being connected or in a room full of a bunch of people or, you know, in the house with your kids and family doesn't mean that you're really connecting. And Giving people the opportunity to think about what else that could look like, you know, to be able to do that in a more meaningful way, I think is a really important one, but again, a commonly missed one, but usually the thing that people say they wish they would have done more of, you know, meaning some, for some people, this is spirituality, for other people, this is just believing that there's purpose in life or that they have a purpose in their life, Super important to cultivate, interestingly, can be cultivated through engagement, through relationships, through accomplishments, um, and accomplishments being the last one that, you know, we are doers. You know we like to do things. It's kind of how we learn. It's usually how we operate in life. And so just having things in your life that that you are proud of, you know, starting starting new projects which can lead to engagement, you know, but then come out as accomplishment. These are all questions, all things that financial advisors can totally ask about and from all different angles, in all different ways, whether you're in an accumulation or decumulation phase of your life, you know, these these things matter universally and sort of create that opportunity for contentment. You know, these are the things that have to be there, you know, for contentment to happen. Financial advisors hold space, you know, for these very complex conversations about finances. And I fully believe that they can hold space for these very difficult but interesting conversations about flourishing and about, you know, positive psychology and that these have a natural place in financial planning. It's, it can sometimes be odd to talk about, you know, all of the behavioral economics, heuristics and heuristics and biases. You know that, like in many ways, like that's our version of diagnosis in financial planning. This is now like, well, yeah, but even even with these biases and heuristics that wreak havoc in our money scripts, that can be a real pain in the neck sometimes. We can also do this, and I think that that's really powerful. It's like that, yes, yes, these things exist, but and you know we have this other option. You know we don't have to return to your childhood trauma. We can or, you know, but you can, but you don't, you know, for right now, we can just get some wins over here.
1: I think that's cool. I love this. It's so cool to use your word there, because we have such an opportunity as a financial advisors or financial planners that really can help clients use money as this portal into these deeper conversations. And I think you're right in saying it's okay, or even I feel like, I guess we don't need to. We have a great invitation to go there with these conversations. And it's interesting how like behavioral finance people are like, oh, I get this. This is quite understand. Like, I like this. But I think there's a comfort level in behavioral finance that, you know, advisors don't have to do their own uh, reflections or answer these questions themselves. We could talk about the behavioral finances or uh, sorry, cognitive biases all day, but what you're talking about, I think, for advisors, we, we have to dive into what this all means to ourselves as well. And Barbara Fredrickson has this model in positive psychology, the broaden and build. And I feel like you're just you're touching on so much is that we can go into the deficit side and uncover it. And there's a lot of research that shows it's effective. But we can also have this other way that builds these resilient tools that create these positive emotions that now give us this broadening our thought receptors and we can start building upon them and we might go back and go to the the deficit side with these new tools, some resilience. Right. And I think what you're talking about really is important for individuals and advisors to help create this self-efficacy that you you yeah. talked about because that's where people have choice. And I want to bring this to, in your article, you talked about the arrival fallacy. And the reason why I want to bring it up right now is because like, I think there's this comfort level in when I get there, everything will be okay. But everything I'm hearing you say now is like, we want to work towards that. Like the Spanish people still are, yeah, the Spanish people I'm sure still want to accomplish things, but they're just going to still be here and have a 36-hour lunch. That was an exaggeration.
0: they do it. They'd be like, (laughs) Challenge accepted.
1: (laughs) Can you talk about this arrival fallacy and bridge it towards what we're talking about in terms of how we can have both? It's not just all accomplishments. How do we integrate both of these things into our lives?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So arrival fallacy is kind of, is this idea that, oh, once I do this, I'll be happy. Once I have this, I'll know I've made it. Once I've done whatever. It's always this place in the future that we think we're running towards. And people have found that people get there, they do the thing, and they're happy for like a moment. I think what somewhat famously in like Mad Men, What's His Face's character, like the main guy, he was like, you know what happiness is? It's that moment before you set your next goal. Oh. And so it's um it's very fleeting. You know, again, like happiness and sadness and there's always gonna be another emotion as in these emotions are fleeting and that is what they are supposed to be. We kind of wanna like hang on, you know, to the really good ones, but that isn't actually how it works. And so there is this moment of accomplishment and that might feel really good for a second, but then you feel like, oh, I have to go pick this new goal, you know, to start chasing that dopamine jump again. And so we call it like hedonic treadmill and things like that. So I'm not saying that accomplishing something isn't good. And I'm not saying that working towards something isn't good. We also know that like things like flow happen in between, (laughs) you know, like you can really enjoy the work and people often do, they often enjoy the work towards the thing if you can get them to recognize it in the moment more so than they often enjoy actually winning the thing, you know, because they think it's going to mean all this stuff and then it doesn't and then you still wake up the next day. I actually sort of had this experience in my dissertation. So this is like a a life, a life example. So I'm in maybe like my second year of the PhD program at K-State and I'm like, why did I do this? (laughs) Like, this is so hard. I don't like I hate everything. You know, I just want to do research and be left alone. And I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning and I went downstairs and I was starting to work on my research project. And I had the realization, don't ask me why, I wasn't reading anything in particular, I don't know. And I said, well, you know, I, like technically I am doing research. You know, I'm doing research that my professor has told me I am responsible for doing for my homework this week, but I am doing research. And my dissertation, as much of a gauntlet as that process is, I was doing research and research was what I wanted to do. So I decided at that moment in my second year that I was just going to be happy, that I was just going to be happy. I was just going to be content. I see I'm an American. I'm using the wrong word. (laughs) I'm just going to be content doing this research every day. This is what I came to do. This is what I came to learn to do. This is what I thought I was going to enjoy. And I do love it. And so it's not about just getting my PhD. Yes, damn, it felt good. I love it you know, when people are like, hello, Dr. Lertz. And I'm like, hello. You know, the best moment is when you meet another doctor and you get to have that doctor, doctor moment. Like, <laughs> it's the best. But being able, like that whole time that I was in school, I was doing the thing that I wanted to do. And instead of thinking about it begrudgingly and thinking about it just in a tiresome way to that little bit of change, just recognizing that I'm already doing, you know, I don't, I'll have the letters, but I'm already doing the thing that I wanted to do. You know, that made it enough. That made it feel more content. That made, you know, dealing with the highs and the lows a little bit, you know, smoother. And, and that really helped. And so it's, you know, it's not about being like, well, and I do this in my personal life now that I figured this thing out for myself. I do it. I try to do it more and more. You know, that it can't always be about you know, being the best mom. I am a mom and I'm a good mom because I care about being a good mom. Bad moms, if they even exist, don't really care about being a good mom. The fact that I care enough to even think, oh, was that my best move? It probably says I'm a good mom. And at work, you know, I am loved and supported by my coworkers. And I do the work that I'm proud of. You know, I do work that is meaningful to me. And although I don't necessarily sometimes wake up and I'm like, oh, can't wait to write another article. But I, do, I love writing, you know, and I love being able to share my ideas and interact with the advisor community and my colleagues. It brings me immense joy. So even in those moments where I'm like, okay, yeah, here we go, another article. I try to remind myself like, no, this, this is actually what I really enjoy. This is what I set out to do. Megan, you're, do, you're doing the thing that you love. Yes, it's Wednesday and you're tired and, you know, whatever. But you're doing, you're doing the thing that you love. Just, just be, be content, you know. Don't make it a terrible day, you know. We have to be going towards something. That's how we work. That's fine. But it's also recognizing all of the beautiful aspects of PERMA that are in the work along the way you know, that it is the positive emotions that come from the people that we're interacting with while it happens. It is the engagement of the moment and, you know, feeling like what I'm doing has meaning. These are all things that are possible and apparent, you know, during the work and and the positive relationships as well. And there is that accomplishment part. But then there's also the opportunity when you get to the accomplishment to look back over all of the positive emotions, all of the relationships, everything that's brought you to this moment and say, you know, I did that well. You know, i lived that for the best way that I could. I gave it my relationships. I gave it my engagement. I gave it positive emotions. I took the time to reframe. So yes, this accomplishment means a lot, but man, I did a good job over this past couple of years. It's not about trying to live a life without regret. We have that, but we can regret less and find additional contentment when we focus on these aspects of PERMA. And I think that's cool.
1: I had forgotten as well about the uh, arrival fallacy, but I was just enjoying your answer. I think what your answer, not that I'm trying to pitch embracing positive psychology within the financial world, which I think is a good suggestion, but your, mm. your answer really was an example of when we do add elements of PERMA or whatever well-being model we want to, or, or what makes us live a good life, or like your tone just rose, your affection went, and like you were just really, really answering that in, in such a fulfilling manner is what I noticed. And as advisors, we have an invitation or opportunity to facilitate these questions because money sits on top of all this stuff and disguises us from reaching those aspects. And What I feel like I'm hearing is something that I've heard you talk about is financial joy. Can you explain on another podcast? I heard you talk about financial joy. I'm like, I really like this framing around financial joy. Oh, actually, before that, in your answer, you talked about so many components of positive psychology, of character strength, self efficacy, positive emotions, these relationships. And again, just, I guess, a, a supporting reason why positive psychology can really help us move towards this. Aspirational goal of contentment. Where did this surface in terms in your mind, and what does that mean to Megan?
0: It wasn't in my mind. It was in a different friend's brilliant mind. It was Ed Combs. If I don't know if you've ever talked to Ed Combs before, he's been on twice. I I don't know what we were doing. It was definitely over beers, probably wine. It was probably later in the day, evening. And I just remember him being like, "You know, Megan, we like we don't even have anything like financial joy," and I'm like. You're right. Like, what, what, the, what is that? You know, like, I don't even know what that means. I'm not even sure how to comprehend that. And he's like, yeah, because we totally have the opposite. Everybody would know what it feels like to have like financial what? And what does it mean to have financial joy? Like, so I don't know. I don't know, you know, but I think that that's pretty interesting. And I think that PERMA or the aspects of PERMA are trying to bring PERMA into our financial discussions with clients into our financial discussions in our own lives that this is mandalorian this is the way and these are i mentioned earlier these are brave questions to ask they are because we don't really know what the answer is going to be but i have found when i ask people stuff like this they're interested you know they they're like yeah i, I haven't thought about that before cuz you know you're not asking them like what's your net worth which a lot of people are like, nah, nah, maybe you don't need to know that. They got to give them a couple seconds, but they'll answer. And these are amazing conversations that can just go so many different directions and can really, you know, getting people to think about that. Again, I'll, I used it on the last time we spoke, but like thinking of the financial advisor meeting is like the time on the mat, you know, doing yoga and like you're just going to work out your stuff. You know, I'm going to talk about these concepts, but you're here to work out your stuff. I think that this is that you know we're we're sort of setting the groundwork you know these are the ask, these are like important things that we know that belong in a flourishing life and these are not scary things to ask about again we're not asking about people's trauma we're not going in this other direction you know has immense benefits and it's fun and it's thoughtful and I just think that it brings a whole maybe that's how we'll get to financial joy. You know, oh. I think that that would be cool.
1: I agree. So I, I'm having you on back to back. So I'm not going to ask the final question that I'd ask everyone because I just asked you last week. But I've got another question that your answer just made me think about. Because financial joy, I, I've been collaborating with this Hawaiian musician. His name's Root Hub. He's come on the podcast a few times. Yeah. And we've been writing music together. And in a way, that's my financial joy, if I could describe it. And we're coming out with this program we're going to do 100, 100 songs for 100 people on their money stories. We're calling it Financial Anthems, Let Your Money Story Sing. So my final question for you, it's to use the fun, is if you had to write a song about your money story, what would the title be?
0: God, it could be... <laughs> So many things. It Um, can
1: be. That was a hard question.
0: Like in my brain, it's just like different different rap songs are going through my brain, and I'm like, that's probably not gonna work. Okay, so there was this lyric I can't think of. I think it's in the song by Mama uh, Tupac Shakur, where he talks about you know that he's happy that he has this money to pay bills, and that he doesn't even mind paying the bills because he has the money to do it. It's like this whole idea of you know, have it like problems versus issues, but also feeling really good. You know, most of us complain about bills. He's actually like expressing that he's like, yes, like check my credit. I'm rich, I'm good. You know, I can do this. I think, you know, thinking of my entire money life, I didn't have a healthy, necessary relationship with money. And I have taken the time to like understand why and appreciate certain things in a different way. So I feel like maybe I would name my song like Money, but something related to Tupac Shakur.
1: I hope this song comes to fruition.
0: I'd have to definitely think about it, but there, there was that I was listening to that not all that long ago. And I thought, man, that's like, that's a, that's a money script or somebody should write something about uh, it. It's like exactly how we want people to
1: feel. It sounds like a good example of like just detaching from our money.
0: Well, but he talks about his mom in that one, you know, so it's about relationships. It's about accomplishment for him. It's about meaning for him. You know, like there are aspects of PERMA and like what he that couple lyrics that he's talking about in that particular song. And I just think, yeah, like I wish more people felt that, you know, I wish more people were like excited about paying their bill because they thought this actually means something to me to be able to do this instead of just looking at it as like, oh, barf, another another thing I have to go do. This this in and of itself like was some sort of accomplishment. So just, it's interesting framing, I suppose.
1: Well, Megan, thank you. I'm a minute over. I got like 29 follow-up questions, but thank you so much. I'll include the links from last episode of where, where people can find you. And yeah, I'm excited to see more of the writing, if there is any, around positive psychology and money as it comes out. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Lertz as much as I did. If you're still listening, I feel like that means you enjoyed the episode. And if that's the case, I would enjoy it if you could head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. It really helps to support the show. Until next week, take care. I'm
0: on a mountain without a top. My wealth is measured in now I spend my time. Now I write freedom story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life, it's just the wind in the sail.